Uh, I know more about one side of my family than I do the other. Uh, I never met my grandparents on my father's side. I never, uh, I, I never met them. And as I was working on this sermon, I realized I didn't even know their names. And I was working on a sermon, I thought, I don't, I don't even know my grandparents' names on my father's side. I talked to my oldest sister, she's 10 years older than I am, and uh, you know, she told me it's George and Margaret, which I, I didn't know. I was told, I do remember growing up, I was told that my uh, paternal, my dad's grandfather, uh, died when my father was a young boy. And I also knew that my um, my father's mom had some developed some uh, mental challenges, and actually, in you know, lived um, her adult life then out as a bag lady on the streets of Denver. Um, is how she ended up, and and I remember um, talking. Those of you who have been here for the 28 years that I've been here remember is about, I don't know, 26 years ago or so. Uh, Jenny and I went to, were asked to go out and see my dad um, in Arizona. Uh, the first time that I had been under the same roof, of, uh, spent the night under the same roof as him. Uh, you know, we're talking, uh, you know, when I was in my... 30s at that point, uh, maybe 40, and the first time since I was uh, five years old, I spent a night uh, under the roof with my dad, and really the longest conversation I think I ever had with him in my entire life, you know, was during that weekend, and it's part of my ADD, Uh, and um, I remember him telling me that he had gone you know, to, to try and find his mother in Denver, did find her, and um, she just still wanted to live on the streets, and that's how she lived. And really, that's about all I know about the grandparents on my father's side, and really pretty much not not too much more history than that. I mean, I knew he had a sister um, who lived in Denver, and, and I was aware of that, but I don't know much about about that side of my family at all. Now, I knew my grandparents on my mother's side. This is my grandparents. Obviously, the two are my grandparents there. Uh, that's Peter and Anna Gorka. Uh, Zawada was her um, maiden name. And I actually even knew some of my grandmother's cousins. Uh, cousin Steve was uh, my grandmother's cousin and some of the other family, the Zawada family. They lived in the Pullman area of Chicago, and uh, they came over from Poland. Yes, some of you made that connection. I'm Polish. Uh, really, I'm half Polish. And now that explains a lot of things to some of you. And shame on you for thinking that way. <laughs> you should have known. Patrick Michael Ryan, it's Polish. So, yeah, but I, I, you know, I knew the most about them. They were great people. They really were. Uh, these two pictures hang in our home. That's my grandparents when they got married. Um, my grandmother was always much fuller figured when I knew her. Um, she was, uh, I, I, you know, I, I looked at that, what? Um, but anyway, um, 
you know, they, uh, um, they, were, they were great people. They really were. Um, the, the other picture is my mom's siblings, some of my mom's siblings. My mom was the youngest of eight, and as you see, there's only six of them there. And um, one of them, I believe the smallest one there, is actually one that passed away uh, when she was younger. I might be wrong on that, but there were eight of them, seven survived, one passed away as a, as a uh, toddler. Um, my my grandfather was very soft spoken. I mean, I I could still. <laughs> and I'm grateful for this. I remember his voice. Um, he spoke softly, and uh, almost a little a little raspy, perhaps. But he didn't talk much. He didn't, um, you know, he, he didn't, uh, he wasn't, uh, you know, he wasn't the one that was uh, the outgoing one of the two. It was my grandmother who was. Uh, and, they, you know, they, she was a great cook. I can remember her making homemade noodles, rolling those babies out and slicing them up and cooking. I don't know that she ever bought noodles uh, in her life. Maybe she did. I don't know. But uh, I remember that. Uh, we had a lot of family interaction at their house. Uh, you know, they, they, she, my grandparents both loved to have us all over. Their house in Pullman, Pullman homes we would call townhouses today. You know, they're all stuck together. And uh, there was this narrow gangway between some of the buildings. Uh, and the, um, But, you know, we would all go over there. They lived in the upstairs uh, apartment and rented out the downstairs. They had owned the whole building. But upstairs was just a, it was a, a two bedroom, uh, one bathroom old apartment that they, that they had there. And the seven, well, there were really six who lived in Chicago. My uncle Frank and Aunt Kitty moved to, um, Minnesota, so we didn't see them much. And really, I don't, I, you know, I, I know some stuff about Uncle Frank, but, but not a lot. And I believe he had two kids. See, I'm not even sure of the cousins there. Uh, he was, you know, he was one of the, uh, he's the oldest looking boy there. Uh, and, you know, but I, we would only see them occasionally. Uh, you know, but I, I, we, we'd get together at their house and all of, you know, everybody jammed into this little two bedroom thing, two bedroom apartment. And there, there were just people everywhere. But see, that was normal for me. Uh, we loved it. You know, we loved it. It was, it was a great thing, uh, you know, to do that. And, and had relationships with you know all my aunts and uncles and you know and, and all my cousins and stuff and we all knew each other saw each other and, and got to it was great it was great um, when we're kids we go where our parents take us you know and, and we know the people that they spend time with as adults I, I knew my family on my mother's side because we spent time together you know we spent time together uh, interacting and and, and doing life really and today I want us to think about the people we're choosing to spend time with. Who are you getting to know? You know, who is your family? Now, when I say that, what I mean by that is who do you do life with? Let's pray. We're going to get into our passage in. Father, thank you for who you are and the gracious way in which you deal with us and guide and direct us. Boy, sometimes, well, sometimes we don't like it. Um, 
some of it rubs us the wrong way. Some of it hurts. Uh, some of it is annoying to us. Well, give us a new perspective, though, today. Help us to see your love through your word. Help us to see not only your guidance, but your patience and the way in which you continue to minister to us through those struggles, through our misunderstandings. And, uh, Father, that, that what will happen here is that you will touch hearts and lives in a way that only you can. Uh, so use your word toward an end, I pray, in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 36. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 32. This is uh, the final sermon in our walk through Genesis for um, you know this year, when I say this year, this season. Um, in two weeks, we're going to start Engage uh, 2.0. That's what we're calling it anyway. We, that's what I'm calling it. You just kind of have to have to do that. Uh, it's 2.0 because engage. It's our second. That'll be our second year of of looking uh, at how Jesus engaged some people. And uh, even this morning in Sunday school class, as, as Dean was leading our class and sharing some things, God just kind of laid another one out there for me. I have to reduce this down because that's going to take us to the Advent series, and I need to. I have too many sermons in my head right now for that one. So, but today Genesis 36. This is one of those chapters you look at and you ask, why did God put this in here? Why did He think this is a good idea that we needed to know this stuff? You know, what's it there? It, it's you know, it's now. Let me tell you. It is not that God was simply trying to fill space in the Bible. It's not that he was trying to round out, you know, the book of Genesis. It's not that he had a certain quota, you know, so many words that he had to fill, you know, like when you're writing papers for school, uh, you know, that you have to get so many words in there. God, God wasn't concerned about it at all. Everything in the Bible is there for a reason. A part of our challenge sometimes, and in a passage like this, is even to look at and say, what's the, re- what is the reason this is here? You know, what that reason is. Now, from a literary viewpoint, you know, if you look at it from a literary viewpoint, this chapter ties up some loose ends, uh, by wrapping up the account of Esau. Esau is, you know, Jacob's brother, Israel's brother, the other son of, of Isaac. You know, as we were looking at it, and we've been looking at Jacob, we've been looking at how God has dealt with Jacob as, you know, transitioned, you know, him to Israel. And, uh, you know, so after Jacob had received way back, if you recall, back in Genesis 27, after Jacob received the blessing that was normally reserved for the firstborn son, uh, the, the, the blessing that Isaac really wanted to give to Esau, he really wanted to give it to Esau, thought he was giving it to Esau. Then when Esau came in and said, well, well, here's what, you know, here's what he said. You know, Esau comes in and he says, uh, do you only have one blessing, my father? Bless me too. And Esau wept loudly. It wasn't a fun time for him. You know, this wasn't a fun time for him. And here's the, the blessing, if you will. It says, then his father Isaac answered him, look, your dwelling place will be away from the riches of the land, away from the dew of the sky above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. This was part of his rub, you know. This is part of where his fur was going wrong, getting pushed the wrong way, and he didn't like that. But when you rebel, you will break his yoke from your neck. Now we see these come true in in Genesis 36, which is really where we're looking at today. Now we're going to look at this passage from a, 
a, a theological viewpoint, uh, but uh, I, I, if you haven't noticed, I try to come across practically in the way, you know, what's, how does this affect what we live in? What can we learn from this chapter to help us? So uh, chapter 36, verse 1, here we go. These are the f- great place to pick up names for your kids. Okay, great chapter. When you're looking for names for your kids, great chapter. I don't know if this will encourage you to have babies or scare you from having them. Uh, These are the family records of Esau, that is, Edom. Esau took his wives from the Canaanite women, Ada, son of Elon, the Hittite, Aholabama, one of my favorite names in Scripture, Aholabama, daughter of Ada, the granddaughter of Zibion, the Hivite, and Basemath, daughter of Ishmael, and the sister of Naboth. Ada bore Eliphaz to Esau. Basemath bore Ruel to Aholabama. And he bore, Aholabama bore Jehush, Jalem, and Korah. I like that name too, Korah. Uh, these were Esau's sons who were born to him in the land of Canaan. Esau took his wives, sons, daughters, and all the people of his household, as well as his herds, all his livestock, and all the property that he had acquired in Canaan. And he went away to a, a land far away from his brother Jacob. For their possessions were too many for them to live together. And because of the herds, the land they were, that they stayed could not support them. So Esau, that is Edom, lived in the mountains of Seir. Now, that's all I'm going to read, uh, you know, today here. Now you keep, keep your, you put a marker in there. I am actually going to skip down later, but not right now. Uh, the chapter continues on, if you look at it, with Esau's genealogy. Again, a bunch of great names for you to choose from. Uh, if you look at verse 20, then it changes and it, it changes to Sierra's genealogy. Now remember, Esau married women of the land where they lived instead of from among his own people. His brother, his, his parents, his grandparents, you know, they all went back and got people, you know, mates from, mates, sounds bad, uh, wives from, you know, from their own people. And here, you know, Esau didn't do that. He, he took them from, from the land. Verse 31, it starts a listing of the kings who ruled in the land of Edom, meaning Esau's people. The kings who ruled Esau's people. If you look at verse 1 and verse 8, which we just read, it reminds us that Esau was also called Edom because of his eating the red stew when, when his brother Jacob was cooking and he came in and he was famished. And, you know, they had that little tussle there. And, and, and his brother being the kindly soul that he was, he said, give me, your, give, give me the right to the firstborn, then I'll give you a bowl of soup, buddy. Uh, you know, and so he said, well, what's that to me? And he gave it to him. Um, well, that resulted in a little bit, in a little bit of a tiff, if you would, a little rift between, um, Jacob and Esau. Esau wanted to kill Jacob. I would call that a rift. I would call that a little, a little, a little tiff among the brothers here. Now, it, it seemed they had things patched up, uh, when they met together again after over a 20 year separation. We looked at that. Esau was well off, and, and as Jacob had sent some gifts ahead of him, um, Esau at first refused it. He says, I don't, you know, uh, thanks, brother, but I don't need your stuff. I got a lot of stuff, you know. And and then and, and, and Jacob really seemed to be coming to that place where he was repenting, and he realized he needed to give this stuff to his brother, not because of his brother, but because of his own relationship with God. And he did, and uh, you know. And Esau seemed to accept at that time. They seemed to accept each other. 
Now we get into this chapter. It's an accounting of Esau's family after he married women of the land of Canaan, a land where the people did not worship the one true God, where they worshiped many false gods, where they, where they worshiped idols. And this is the land, this is the account there then. And Esau really became so enmeshed with the people, uh, you know, that, that were also given the family line of Sierra. Now, you notice in verse 8, that's where he was living. That's the land where he was living, named after this family line. The leader of the people in the land where Esau had settled. Now, the Edomites here, those who descended from Esau, also called Edom, the Edomites, they were in constant conflict with Israel. They were in constant conflict with God's people descended from Jacob, Israel. And they had that constant conflict before them. In Numbers 20, we have the Edomites. uh, They reject Moses' request as Moses was leading the people out and he wanted to pass through their land. And they rejected, they, they rejected that request as they, as the Israelites were journeying back to the promised land. In 1st Samuel, Samuel 14, uh, they opposed Israel's King Saul. In 1st Kings 11, uh, they fought against King David. Later in 1 Kings 11, they also opposed King Solomon of Israel. And in 2 Chronicles 20, they opposed King Jehoshaphat. He was king of Jerusalem a long, long time. I'll sing that song for you sometime. Um, but, but anyway, uh, you know, you know the, the, in, in 2 Chronicles 21, they rebelled against Jehoram. In, in Jeremiah 27, Edom should have sided with Judah, but instead they sided with the Babylonians. They regularly stood against the people of God as they tried to follow God, as they tried to do and follow his leading. The Edomites regularly stood against God's people. Now, as I was looking at this passage and thinking of all this, I just want to share with you a few thoughts from my study of this of this chapter. I hope it'll help you live a little bit more as God's person. Now, you'll notice in verse 6, it says, Esau grabbed all of his stuff and he put some distance between himself and his brother Jacob, himself and his only family. Uh, you know, you, you, you know, people may be family, but like I said, you know those that you do life with. My dad's side of my family is my family, but I don't know. We didn't do life together. You know, I know, and you, you know those people that you know that you, that you do life with. Now, I think what we need to admit here when we look at this verse six: we choose how and where we live, don't we? I mean, that's what we do. We think it's our right. Particularly as Americans, you know, and hey, I'm all for America, but you know, as Americans, we, you know, our rights are rights, you know, and they're there and they're there, but, and and they also oppose each other. But at any rate, uh, you know, uh, drop down uh, to chapter 37. Here's the other verse I was going to read. It's only the first verse. And, you know, verse six, Esau grabs all his stuff, moves away from his brother Jacob. And here in verse 37, chapter 37, first verse, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. Now, if you recall, Jacob had left this land, and he came back. Why? He came back at the direction of God. You have a contrast here between these two brothers. Esau grabbed his hat and left. Well, Jacob had done that at first. He was fleeing for his life because his brother wanted to kill him because he was a jerk. 
And, you know, God unjerked him a little bit. And he, he, he you know, he, he, he de-jerkified him. He jerked him around and, and got the jerk out of him. But anyway, uh, he got him, you know, he got him, uh, you know, a little more where he's paying attention. And so here, now he, what is he doing? He is beginning to live by the direction of God. I think it's interesting when you look at this, all of Jacob's children, all of Jacob's children were born outside the land of Canaan. And he brought them back there. Now we're told here, all of Esau's children were born in the land of Canaan. And he took them out from there. You know, he, he left the land. Here's a thought for you. Decide to live where God wants you to live. You say, preacher boy, that's easy for you to say. No, no, it isn't. I'm in Fort Wayne because here's where God, this is where God directed me. I lived in the parsonage because in a, in a sense that's where he directed me because that's what all you people provided for a while. Um, you know, choose, you know, to live, decide to live where God wants you to live. Okay, so certainly that would be the country. I, I like, I like America, you know. I'd like to stay here. Um, next week, Randy Fudge will be with us. God had moved him to Ireland for, what, 15 years. I think he's been there. Um, you know, we had friends who lived in in uh, the Ivory Coast for 30 years. This is where the kids were raised. Um, I was just reading the, the, a letter, the letter from, um, and I can see their faces, the crew people. They're listed in the missionary thing. So, yeah, that's it. Adam and... Yeah, Adam and Amy Berkey. I knew that. Adam and Amy Berkey. It just takes me a while to get around to the right filing cabinet in the old head. And, you know, the, 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 the drawers are fuller and the chair moves slower. Uh, the, uh, you know, so anyway, um, Adam and Amy Berkey, and now they, their kids were raised in Macedonia, and they were homeschooled, and here now they are, and they're in Florida. And uh, lucky them, the oldest two get to go to a high school that's got 3,500 students in it, which, you know, it's a, it's a crowd. It's half the high size of my high school, but that's a different sermon. Uh, but anyway, the, um, uh, you know, so, it, you know, they, they're, but why are they there? They're there because, you see, this is where God, well, that's easy for all those church people, but what about the rest of us? Here's the thing with the rest of us. Decide to live where God wants you to live. When Jenny and I, you know, seemed that God was telling us, you know, go get your own place to live, um, and we moved out, you know, going to move out of the parsonage, then, you know, we're looking at all these, we're trying to look at all these places. Anyway, so how does God do I think we're in the house right where God wanted us. So you see, I'm not only talking about the, I'm not only talking about this, this, the country where you live or the state where you live or the city, but you ever even think about the street you live on or the house you live in. God has given us so many connections in this new neighborhood. It's, it's just, uh, it's kind of amazing to us. Um, Decide you're going to live where God wants you to. Now, don't get to moving boxes yet because it could be right where you're at. You just need to start paying attention to where God has you living. We usually choose to live where we, where we live by a whole host of reasons, you know, but do you ever pray about it? <clears throat> Did you ever pray about it? 
about where he wants you to live. I, I believe you know, that God did direct us to the very house we're in. And he's seemed to confirm that to us over and over again. Now, can he use us other places? Sure, sure. I don't know. But I ask myself sometimes, is it for that little guy across the street who doesn't have a dad at home? See any connection here? I don't know if that's it or not. What's what's going to become of his name happens to be Jacob, so you can pray for him too. But, you know, what, what is it that God, you know, and he comes over and he likes to hang out with me. Is that why? I don't know. I don't know. All I know is I'm pretty sure this is where God wanted us. Verse 7 here, you know, it tells us that Esau left, notice, because both he and Jacob had a lot of stuff for them, too much stuff to live too close to each other. I was thinking about that, and I thought, hmm, here's these two guys, got some stuff, and there's not enough room in the land for them. The land that became what? The nation of Israel. With how many people? More than two. How much stuff? I'm guessing that total amount of junk they all these other people had was more than what Esau and Jacob had. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this passage and I'm thinking, uh, why, how? it reminded me of Abraham and Lot. When Abraham and Lot, and they traveled to the new land, and what happened? They said, hey, no, we got too much stuff to stay together. Let's separate. And Lot looked over and he saw this nice green lush valley. Oh, that's a place I want to live. He says, I'll, I'll take that. You take this other one because I'm sure it's good too. I'm not sure exactly how the conversation went. But, you know, let your imagination go wild because obviously I do that. Uh, but, you know, so and so what did he do? He, Lot moves over by Sodom and Gomorrah. That didn't work out too well there, did it? So here I'm looking at this and I'm thinking about this. And, and what is it, you know, so... A thought came to me as I was reading about Esau leaving the stuff in the land that God directed his father to because he had so much stuff. And here's my thought. Don't excuse your selfish actions. Don't excuse your selfish actions. It seems to me, and maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to me Esau left because he didn't want to be by his brother. Esau left as his brother was getting closer and more committed to God. I don't know if that was bugging his brother. I don't know. We're not told. We're not told. All I know is he put some space between himself and and, and really what what was the people of God. You see, we make excuses to ignore God's direction and do what we want. We make excuses so we can ignore God's direction and do what we want. We forget that God has our best interest at heart. And again, doesn't mean this will all be fun. It doesn't mean that it's always an easy journey. What it means is God has our best interest at heart. My mother was a great mother, but she wouldn't let me eat ice cream and cookies all the time. She made me eat other stuff. She was mean in that way. She made me eat real food because she was, she was just ornery. 
you know, we, we all realized, no, it's because she knew ice cream and cookies wasn't going to cut it. You know, and that, that we had to have other nourishment, that we had to have other stuff and other food. Why? Because she had my best interest at heart. It wasn't always what I wanted. It wasn't always what I wanted to do. I remember, you know, when I was, and you thought this too, when you were a kid, you're going to have ice cream all the time. And we did for a while. Every night. Every night I had ice cream, even when I first came here. I had ice, I ate ice cream in a soup bowl, just so you're, just, just, just to be clear, if I ever come over to your house, I eat it in a soup bowl. What's that mean? Don't give me this little cup. Alright, you can. But, uh, you know, and, and I realize it doesn't quite work that way, you know, life doesn't quite work that way. We want to live life how we want to, you know, and we need to, we forget, God has our best interest at heart. Now, this move for Esau didn't turn out so well in his family. You know, they grew into a nation that opposed God. And they opposed God for years, hundreds of years. Interesting, Israel's still a nation today. Edom ceased to be a nation and ceased to be a people thousands of years ago. Esau was, you know, it was aware of the promises to his grandfather, renewed, those promises were renewed to his father, they were renewed to his brother, and, uh, and this was the promised land, they were going to be with people, you know, with a relationship with God, and Esau chose to move away from his brother, away from his, you know, his brother, his nephews, and it is the start of the chosen people. He chose to move away from the people who had, who had a relationship with God, and instead he immersed himself, he chose to be immersed in a culture and with a people who rejected God and who pursued false gods and false worship. This one's important. Choose to do life with those who follow God. Choose to do life with those who follow God. Yes, you will, and you should have some friends who don't follow God. I mean, you, you should. You should know some people who don't know Christ yet and that you can introduce them to Jesus. I'm not telling you to turn your back and run away from all those people. No, help them to come to know who Jesus is. You know, But well, here's the deal. Make sure you spend more time with those friends who do follow God. Now, when I say that, I'm not talking about one who claims to be a Christian, you know, but, but has a lifestyle that actually betrays everything that God lived for. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about someone who, who says, oh, of course I'm a Christian, meaning, well, I'm not a heathen, am I? Well, you're living like a heathen, so yeah, you're a heathen. Uh, you may not want to be that direct, but my sister and I would. Uh, you know, but the, uh, you know, you know, here's the deal. You, you'd spend your time not with those who say they're a Christian and live like the devil. Oh, that's a crazy phrase. Who, who, you know, who don't care and don't live for God at all. Instead, spend your time with those who actually live with and for God. Spend the majority of your time with them. I was trying to think as I was thinking through this chapter that what, so what connects all of these random thoughts that I've been kind of laying out there for you? What can we grasp to help us live more as God's people? Here's what I came away with. God's people don't avoid being with God's people. Let's state that positively. Uh, God's people make sure they spend time with God's people. You see, God's people make sure they spend time with God's family, with God's, it's an intentional choice. 
an intentional choice. This is more than attending a church. You know, it is choosing to actually talk with people at church and getting to know them. It's choosing to get together at times more than just the Sunday morning service. You know, it's choosing to deliberately spend time in places other than this building with those who are deliberately in active relationship of trying to follow Christ. It's spending that time with it. It's choosing well instead of choosing selfishly. As I was praying and working on this message, and um, I do a lot of praying and thinking when I'm doing things like when I run in the mornings, uh, uh, or you know when I when I'm taking a shower or doing other things, and then you know I'm, I'm I, and I'm thinking through this. And as I was as I was doing that and and, and getting ready one morning, I was praying and, and about this and thinking about this sermon, and I, then I just started paying attention because I had the radio on too, and and the song that was on uh, grabbed my attention because I thought. This is a good summary of what we've been looking at as, as we've been, you know, of what God has taught me as we've been doing this study here in, in Genesis on living as God's person. Maybe the words will help you too. Uh, it's from a song called If I Don't Have You by Love and the Outcome. Um, now this is not, this isn't the whole song. This is just some of the words, the words that, that caught my mind. It says, how can I build your kingdom if I'm building my own? How can you be my treasure if I'm digging for gold? How can you be my fire if my heart's grown cold? How can you be my future if I've made this my home? How can I say I need you and live on my own? How can I say I want you and never come close? How can I say I surrender and never let go. How can I say I love you to someone I don't know? This is the chorus that goes with it. I don't want the world if I don't have you. I don't want it all if it means I lose you. I've tasted and I've seen enough to know that it's you I need. I don't want the world if I don't have you. I was thinking through the, you know, this is the 16th sermon, all of these 16 sermons, you know, and, and how would I, how would I sum that up in one sentence? And, and you know, and, and God's people work to live with and for God every day. And it is work. It is work. But you know what? You are working at life anyway. Work on life that matters. Work on a life that makes a difference. Work on a life that lasts into eternity. Live with and for God every day. Let that statement be true of us. Let's pray.